Hello and welcome to the season 3 of the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast. My name is Carlotta Gitch and I'll be the host of this season where we'll be talking to conscious leaders from different backgrounds to discover how to reset our species one button at a time. To kickstart season 3, we'll have a conversation with Pablo Esteves. Pablo is a managing partner at Mzingo and a professor at a university in topics such as transition design, innovation and creativity. With an early background in entrepreneurship as the owner of a small coffee shop in his hometown, Mexico City, and later in his life as a professional golf player, Pablo's most recent work has been exploring the intersections across business, social innovation, higher education and responsible leadership. How might we create more regenerative cultures? How might we facilitate social change? Are some of the questions we contemplate together. Human beings are part of nature and as part of nature we are in a community, the community of Earth, and our species has evolved to have this self-reflective consciousness and free will. So we have this choice, right, to either participate in the processes of life and do it in a destructive way or do it in a constructive way. I'm Carlota Gitch and this is the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast. Welcome, Pablo. It is a pleasure to have you here on the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast. Thank you, Carlota. Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's, um, it, it's a pleasure. I was looking forward to, to today. Me too. Well, I have a lot of questions for you, and I like to start by grounding things in a little bit of personal history. And I actually brought a quote uh, something you wrote for The Economist regarding your experience in the MBA at IE and Mzingo. You write, no elective course could have given me such a broad vision of business, let alone the world. What I gained from Mzingo, the people I met and work with, and the vibrant city of Johannesburg is irreplaceable. More than anything, it drove home the fact that being an MBA student is a privilege, a privilege that we should take advantage of to learn as much as we can and make an impact. Many of the recent economic problems were caused by a dearth of ethical leadership. MBA, MBA can show the way forward. To do so, business schools and students must continually try to be socially conscious and responsible. This means sharing their knowledge and expertise in tackling poverty and problems related to health, water, sanitation, education, food scarcity, and more. The world doesn't need another cool smartphone app. This is what is important. So I know this is a big quote, but I wanted to start here because I know that you uh, started a business, a coffee shop with your friends, then you were a professional golfer, and then you took an MBA at IE, and more recently you're involved in social entrepreneurship at Mzingo. And the question I have for you after this, this, this beautiful introduction of, with your quote is, 
was this urgency of the intersection between business, universities and social responsibility always obvious to you or was that something that changed throughout your time and your experiences? Um, no, the intersection was not crystal clear from the beginning. It's something that was shaped in my head through the experience of the MBA and the moment, those uh, six weeks that I had the, the privilege and the fortune to be in Johannesburg for the first time, helped crystallize all those connections into, into that concept of we are, and I, and I still think is the case, um, the, higher the higher education industry needs to do more and needs to push more to prepare the leaders uh, in, in a better way, in a more humane and sustainable way. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is that role, right, of businesses and universities in society? Well, the role is you have a product, a degree that is in high demand, some years it is in more and some years is less, but it's in high demand, right? High education is, is a growing industry. And you have a big responsibility as a academic institution on the kind of information and the kind of tools and the kind of knowledge that you provide to, to the students. And even more so, your responsibility as an academic institution to help the students form their own attitudes and mindsets towards the world around them and the issues that um, we live. And going back to, to the comment that you made at the very beginning about the intention, right? I, I always start every single semester, all of my courses, with with that intention right like my intention is that at the end of this session at the end of this workshop at the end of this experience at the end of this semester you leave a better person that you are entering um, knowledge and tools are widely available the access to information is greater than has ever been so the thing that I can offer is a space where the people inside the space can explore what is it like to be a better mm -hmm. version of yourself. And so that for you, um, that moment of transformation was caused or catalyzed by your Mzingo experience, how would you, because I think that what you said is very important, right? That we have immediate access to pretty much any information we want, right? So what is missing? Why aren't more businesses and, and institutions doing this, right? If we do have this access, what can be that catalyzer for change, like real authentic change? Mm -hmm. I, I like that you use the word catalyst. The, the word catalyzer, um, it, it, it helps frame 
the concept of like what is missing, right? So I would say when you have a certain number of elements and then you add the catalyst, you have a different uh, reaction, right? Or you cause a, a something to happen. If, if we're talking about what led me to switch gears and what is now uh, over 10 years of, of doing this, of doing this meaning working solely on designing and facilitating experiences that allow for people and organizations to do better in terms of leadership and social innovation and social impact, Yes, the trip to the trip to South Africa and the experience in South Africa was the catalyst. At, at that point in time, I had a number of elements, namely, um, as you point out, uh, my my work as uh, an entrepreneur before the MBA. Uh, my four years um, solely playing golf and I see that as another entrepreneurial endeavor and why well because you essentially are um, you start with a project as a one-man show or a man woman uh, one woman show a professional athlete where then you need to orchestrate working with others right mm -hmm. so you have to work with a trainer you need to work with people that help you with your fitness and you have to compete with others and then you need to earn a living out of it right so it's essentially a, a business the only thing is that now you are selling mm. something that's not necessarily a a product or or a service um i would say it's interesting that i one of the things that I enjoyed about playing golf was um, beyond the competition. I love the competition. It was the access to nature. Uh, the best part of, of every day was getting there at 6, 6.30 in the morning and having the, um, the whole uh, golf course or the uh, driving range mm -hmm. for myself and um, on the morning so in spring and autumn have the the light fog cover in the grass and the dew and um listening to the birds and like i really really enjoy the access to nature there which is quite ironic because it's a fake nature right it's a, a man-made nature um so you have uh you have the the entrepreneurship component you have the access to nature component um living in Mexico City or being born and, and living in Mexico City for so many years and in Mexico as a country, you have firsthand, uh, you're a firsthand witness or you have real access to the um, uh, abject poverty and the income uh, inequalities and the exclusion of society and uh, population at risk and um, lack of uh, opportunities and uh, racism and classism and a sense of entitlement. So that's a, a third element combined with the nature and the um, 
and entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and uh, arriving at IE and absorbing everything that was offered to me in terms of classes in the MBA, friendships, uh, networking, um, access to knowledge uh, and opportunities was the final element that made me realize that once I was in South Africa, everything came together and um, being part of, of that experience in, in Johannesburg in, in January of 2011 made it crystal clear for me that that's when that doing that made me really happy. I want to uh, highlight something you said there um, about competition and, and let's explore that in a bit. Now I would like to move on and talk a little bit about Mzingo. Can you tell us a little bit more what Mzingo is all about? What do you do? What is your intention? And what kind of leadership you stand for? Mzingo is a, a design firm. We design and facilitate learning experiences and um, social innovation projects, working with academic institutions and companies. And we root all our work in three fields, in the field of responsible leadership, in the field of social innovation, and in the field of social impact. This means that we work with people and we help these people become responsible leaders. So for us, that is, that is the work that we do. We, we design and facilitate these learning experiences that um, help people become responsible leaders or understand responsible leadership. They see the role of business, government, society, and other organizations into tackling social issues mm -hmm. and that they apply an innovative approach and they understand the processes and the tools to create solutions to problems. So that is the work that we do. And how it came about, well, it was in 2009, as a context, 2009 was uh, the, the financial crisis, the global financial meltdown. Uh, the three brains behind Mzingo, uh, i.e. Uh, alumni, they were doing their MBA at the time, uh, Ramon, Ramon Manolejos, Drew Von Figlio, and Amani Mbale. And they had a project and they um, put this project into um, an entrepreneurial endeavor within the curriculum or within the coursework of entrepreneurial project. And they moved it into the Venture Lab, which is one of the initiatives that I has, I Business School has for entrepreneurial mm -hmm. uh, projects and how to make them more than just a project. And then they decided to create a company. And later, in, in 2010 and 2011, Daniel Pulaski and myself, we, we joined the, the company. And now it's um, the four of us, uh, Ramon, Drew, Daniel, and myself that um, 
uh, have moved this uh, organization for the past uh, 10 years. Okay. 11, now we're celebrating our 11th anniversary. Well, uh, happy birthday, <laughs> Mzingo. Yes, happy birthday, Mzingo. Yeah, I wanted to... Um... I wanted to say something because I had the privilege to actually do an Mzingo program and what you said just now, what you were describing of, of, you know, seeing ourselves as part of the living system uh, of our planet of nature, right, uh, was something that I could abstractly understand, but I couldn't actually put it into words. And I think that a lot of the things that we learn and get to experience in that program help me and I believe uh, the amazing people that I met there make that connection um, with more confidence. And, and I wanted to thank you and I wanted to thank Mzingo because even though the program was actually a virtual program, we didn't have the opportunity to um to travel to peru i really felt you know what you said about the experience right uh getting immersed in in my case south africa right and connecting with like-minded people who understand that uh the world doesn't operate in silos in the sense that there's business and the goal of business is to grow and then there's nature, right? And then there's NGOs. No, we are and companies are living systems, right? And so we have to start connecting all these dots and understand that what we do on the personal, organizational, collective level is going to have an impact on 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 the system. But it's also up to us, you know, to 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 have an impact. So yeah, I wanted to to say that because I really felt, you know, the power of of that experience in perhaps shifting a little bit my mental model. Yeah, the um, the work that we try to do is precisely to help to help people and help organizations understand how mental models drive most of the things that we see in the world. Yeah. Do you want to expand a little bit on vision and mental model then? Yeah, for sure. The, the evolution of consciousness is both a personal journey that everybody or everyone is capable of experiencing in, in our lifetimes and is also a, a collective journey, right? And this consciousness or this journey, rather, this journey of... of um, of the evolution of consciousness has brought us right now to a point where we have to acknowledge that we are part of nature. And because we have that chance of participating in the processes of, of life, we can choose to do it in a destructive way, or we can choose to do it in a more constructive, creative, generative way, mm -hmm. right? So the, this path of consciousness has led us to this point. We are at a point in time in our um, collective consciousness where we're like aware that, hey, human beings are part of nature. Additionally, our species has evolved to have this self-reflective uh, self consciousness and free will. 
so we have this choice, right? To either participate in the processes of life and do it in a destructive way or do it in a constructive way. Once we understand that there is a level of, of decision here, then we can start looking at what are the events that we're seeing around us? And by applying a living systems thinking, which is um, what you were referring to, by applying a, a living systems thinking lens, we can see that the events that we see around us are product of structures and behaviors, right? So there are behaviors that produce or behaviors that lead to these events. And there are structures that enable these behaviors and structures that by their mere existence lead to these events, mm -hmm. right? So now we have events and understanding of what happens underneath the surface of those events. And below those behaviors and below or underneath those structures, then you have mental models. And these mental models are truths, quote unquote truths, that we tell ourselves individually or collectively and guide us into them building these structures or acting in a certain way, or because we build these structures, enable certain behaviors. And then because of the behaviors and the structures, we have the events that we're seeing. Now, these mental models that we have individually and collectively are the product of, of visions, of ideas. The way of addressing change of facilitating change in mental models is by providing alternative visions, alternative points of view, and essentially experimenting change and accepting change. Yes, I think that, um, again, like some of the tools that we explored in MZingo and in your class, uh, more particularly in this case, I think Theory U are really helpful to bring clarity to like how we even look at the world. And since I learned, you know, about Theory U, I really started seeing things with new eyes. And, and what I find most interesting is this relationship between the inner world and the outer world that you were describing. And I wanted to touch on something that you said there, that it is a, a personal decision, right? It's a personal decision for you to start living in this new way. And I'm, I'm always curious about this question, because at least I can only talk about my personal experience, right? I, I don't know what other people feel, but I, I do feel like in, in my case... Um, I wasn't making a conscious decision to not see. And that's the interesting thing, right? Is that you need uh, an Mzingo program or a, a trip to South Africa, you know, to actually be the catalyzer for that change. Only when you have that, that um, wake up call from something exterior, then yes, you have the, the, the power to, to make that decision. But it's interesting to see that not only at the personal level, but at the collective one, we can just be not aware you know of the interconnectedness so there's not really a question there uh, but i think that we're touching a little bit in trans transition design well I, I think that um catalysts are required if you're gonna uh, try to change mental models and these catalysts can happen in many 
flavors, right? In many shapes and forms. Sometimes a catalyst is something that is completely unexpected, right? COVID-19. Uh, a catalyst can be the death of someone. Those are catalysts for change. And uh, at Emsingo, we had several catalysts of change um, last year. And there are other kind of catalysts that are more conscious, that are more deliberate, because you are trying to foster, and I love this word, foster, um, you try to foster the right conditions for change to happen. And that is part of the role of, of leaders, right? Like you just create the right conditions. You put all the elements together and you try to create the catalyst for, for change. And, and that is what we try to do uh, at Emzingo. And that is what I've tried to do um, in, my, in my activities with, with IEs. How do I create the right conditions, put the right elements, and elements here is also people. How do I put the right elements? And then what is the catalyst, right? What is the thing that will spark the, the change? So yeah, it can be a conscious act or that you actively seek for um, something that might be the catalyst. Sometimes, uh, life just hits you on the head, right? And 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 that is a that that's a catalyst. And I would say that uh, one of the the things that um, I've been working on for the past three years is developing this set of practices and knowledge and tools that help you with. Um, this transformative innovation and, and transition and transition design. And the two things that I have found that are equally important in, in same measure, that are they're just equally important. One is deep listening. And this deep listening is both internal and external. So how how you develop the skills to have introspection and deep listening of yourself, and also how you develop the skills and uh, the mindset to listen deeply to others mm -hmm. and how you, by effect of listening deeply, ask the right questions. And then the second thing that you need to do on equal measure is intentional intervention, mm -hmm. right? Because if you are just doing introspection or deep listening all the time, nothing is going to happen. Nothing, 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 nothing. And that is one of the the things that I keep repeating. I'm not going to say that it worries me because honestly, I'm not worried. But one of the things that I keep reminding people, yes, introspection is good. Yes, listening deeply and being curious about the world is good. But that on itself is not going to change anything, right? So you also need to have these intentional intervention. And I'm very careful to say that it's intentional intervention because you want to observe the situation. Again, through this observation, have a deep listening to yourself and others and subsequently respond accordingly, right? So after you have attended to a situation, then you can respond. But this response cannot be a reaction. This response has to be an intentional intervention. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, actually, you touched on um, <laughs> that that when you touched on on mindfulness and and you know the it, it has become a buzzword for sure. Um, but I think at the end of the day, that's the goal, right? And if you actually like uh, go and understand practices like yoga deeply, the point is not to just you know meditate or try to be mindful for the sake of being mindful. The sake the the purpose of that is to actually you know, really understand what is most real and then go like and act, right? And change. And, and, and it's not about just zoning out from your thoughts. It's about actually thinking clearly so that you can make the world better, so you can be better, so you can act better. And, you know, when every time that we, we, uh, we talk about these, this, the, the need for change and, and what are we doing and how might we design more, um, how, how might we design a better world, really? I think of an anecdote that I think illustrates this perfectly. At least this is what I felt for a lot of time. And I still haven't found where I actually uh, listened to this anecdote. Uh, so some details might be uh, slightly different. But the idea is that there were a bunch of monkeys um, in a jungle. And there was a tree with with uh, bananas right and so the monkeys were all trying to to climb the tree to get the bananas and get to the top and get the tree right and what happened was that because there were very few bananas <laughs> because there were very few bananas right they were climbing and then they were pushing each other uh, down because they wanted to be the one to get to the top of the tree right and so what happened was that generations after generations came and they were trying to get to the top, but at some point there were no bananas on the top, right? So you just had monkeys, you know, climbing and pushing each other down and no one actually, you know, just stopped to observe everything that was happening and ask, hey guys, like, why are we, why are we climbing this? Like, what is the point of this, right? And I feel like this brings me like to... Uh, concepts like the autopilot mode, right? That sometimes we're just doing things because everyone else is doing those things. And I think that practices like theory youth, practices like design thinking, and I think that what I feel when we when we talk about design is to really just observe, li listen deeply to ourselves and to the people around us, right? And even to nature and say, okay, what do we want to do here? And this is the power of the intention, right? That again, connecting connecting to mindfulness and solitude is about you getting rid of all all the noise and understanding what is it that I actually want to do with with my being, right? What what do I want to change in society? Mm. I don't necessarily agree entirely with with that. Um, okay. Let me deconstruct some things. One is the risk of um, making uh, something like mindfulness trip and uh, hip and, and trendy is that it alienates people, right? You make it uh, a status symbol, which is ridiculous. You make it something that is fashionable, which is also ridiculous. And, um, and then it might put off people from practicing it or make it seem inaccessible for people. And as you point out, what we want is more people doing it and more people embracing it, um, these kind of practices, right? So if you make it something that is fashionable and, and trendy, it, there is a risk that people will not try it 
because it seems out of their reach. It becomes inaccessible. That is one risk. The other thing that uh, I, I have to say is that, yes, you need to get rid of the noise. And additionally, you have to make space for the noise. And that is, that is also important. That's why I'm saying that there's this spectrum or this dial that you need to regulate between introspection and action. If you, if you are doing a lot of introspection and getting rid of a lot of the noise, there might be a point in time where you don't take action. On the other hand, if you're just taking a lot of action, you are not stopping to ask the questions, right? In, 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 the, in the story that you were telling about the monkeys. And, and that is um, very important, asking questions, right? The, the crux of, of this is we are at a point in time where virtually every single structure and institution around us needs to change. It's in need for innovation. It's in need of redesign. It's in need of, of transformation. And, and this applies to everything from the corporate boardrooms to the governments, to communities, to higher education, to in every sector, agriculture, infrastructure, energy, water management, food, everything. Everything needs to, to be transformed. Now, we can choose to not, not ask any question and then uh, not stop for a second as to what needs to be done, or we can ask better questions, right? And we need to spend more time making sure that we are getting the questions right, right? Before we rush into offering solutions that will only keep business as usual going on or make things worse. And by, by leaving these questions, right? And by leaving them deeply, this process of introspection and asking myself questions and stopping to ask the right questions to others and listening to others and listening to uh, nature and listening to the community on earth, then we can make sure that these questions guide us into a process or a transition of regenerating cultures. And that, and that is the, the, the work that I'm doing and that Mzingo does in terms of, of transition design, right? Like we need to ask these questions and we need to ask them in a way that is inviting, that helps others also ask themselves questions and to um, have an appetite for sharing answers and for sharing more questions. And we need to do this with urgency. There has to be a sense of creative and constructive urgency. We need to reset and redefine how we see ourselves and how we see our relationship with others and with the community. And do you find any meaning in this period that we're living with the COVID-19? Mm, do I find any meaning? Yeah, because you touched on the word reset, right? So how are you, are you, 
are you trying to make meaning out of this and and are you using this as an opportunity to reset yeah i i, I think that um the past year since the virus emerged and spread the whole year with its its moments throughout the year right so if if you zoom out you have a a 12 month period if you zoom in well you have 52 periods if you zoom further you have 366 days of of events i think that all of the past year has been a catalyst around the world and as we were talking a little bit earlier catalysts drive change and either you experiment and embrace the change or you're going to be deeply uncomfortable and resistant to change and i have to say that um the pandemic the past year was just a rehearsal for the next big issue or the big hurdle that we have in front of us in the next 30 years which is the way that we're living is not sustainable right like we have to learn to live within the limits of the bioproductive capacity of earth and we are not living within those limits everybody is talking about sustainability but sustainability is not good enough sustainability is not an adequate goal like we need to move beyond sustainability like what are we going to sustain right we're talking about sustainability without knowing what are we going to sustain we cannot sustain business as usual we cannot sustain uh, planet earth as it is so sustainability is not good enough we need to move towards a a, a, a regenerative culture right like we need to move to a way where we reset and we go um, into a different mode and we transform our cultures and our societies into one that is healthy and resilient and adaptable and it cares for the planet and it cares for life and is aware of creating a, a thriving livable future for um, the community on earth, right? We need to become good ancestors right now. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And what is your advice for the youth? Having in mind the scenario that you just described about all the challenges that are already here and in the future, what is your advice for us to reset ourselves internally and externally, right? Well, trans transformative change and the reset that is required will necessarily mean that us individually and us collectively um, will have to live differently, right? We, we definitely need to, to change our practices. Otherwise, we're just going to be repeating the same unhealthy patterns of behavior and uh, ways of thinking that no longer serve us. So my advice to students, but this this advice applies to everyone. It's not only it's not only youth. It's everybody um, needs to uh, hear this advice. Though 
now I'm so, now I sound a little bit preachy. <laughs> Parentheses, can we do differently? <laughs> it's terrible. Like, I don't want to sound preachy. I mean, it is good advice, but okay. Let me reframe this. So, Carlona, answering um, your question. If we want to have transformative change, and I, I would like to think that everybody wants to have transformative change, though that's another, another big if. Transformative change requires us individually and us collectively to live differently, right? Otherwise, we're just going to keep repeating these patterns of behavior and these ways of thinking that are not helpful and are unhealthy. That transformative change requires a catalyst. For people that are interested in helping, for people that are interested in changing the world at their reach. And I love that concept of changing the world at your reach. It's not about changing the world. That is an unrealistic goal, um, makes it uh, unfeasible and puts off a lot of people. I'm just asking, change the world at your reach. If you can help 1 million people, great. If you can help five people, great as well. If you want to, for people that are interested in affecting, people that are interested in affecting change in their world at their reach, having a deep understanding of who you are, having the right set of tools and knowledge, self-knowledge and practical knowledge, and being comfortable with change and uncertainty helps you build resilience because in all likelihood, the road ahead will be very hard for you. So you need to be very resilient. So you need to have that self-knowledge, practical knowledge, and uh, this ability and mindset of being uncomfort uh, comfortable, that being comfortable with, with uncertainty and, and with change will get you a long way. And also on, on the note of resetting ourselves internally, um, I brought a quote from an article you wrote for the Aspen Institute. I, I would like to read and yep. I would like you to uh, share a few words on it. So it's a long one again, so let's go. And so you're talking about the, the pandemic and what lessons uh, can we learn from the pandemic? What meaning can we give to the pandemic, right? Um, and so you say, finally, I would like to think that Mrs. Nelson, and this is from a poem, poem that maybe you can explain us a little bit after, Mrs. Nelson would teach us that when we lose ourselves in fear and despair, hopelessness and tragedy, we have to cling to the beautiful small things that are pretty big. Homemade cookies, the yellow pages of an old book, the new drawing of a three-year-old and her smile, the reassurance in a familiar voice over the phone, singing from balconies, the daily hum of the vacuum cleaner next door, the random acts of kindness and words of encouragement. 
all these small big things that usually are the backdrop of our routines serve us serve a much nobler nobler cause they are here to save our lives they are what make our lives worth living that's beautiful by the way <laughs> yeah i uh yeah, i like it <laughs> if i can say so <laughs> it's it's a good reminder huh? that um when things seem to be going really bad uh particularly uh with with big big things like the pandemic or big things like um, uh, runaway ch uh, climate change um, and you feel despair and you feel maybe alone or you feel uh, that that it's a lost cause you you have to reset. <laughs> Right and and find comfort in the small things that accompany you every day uh, and that they seem mundane. the The poem that you mentioned is by Brad Aaron Motlin. It's a beautiful poem. It's a poem about the lessons that. Um, the lessons that accompany you in life that are with like wisdom right this knowledge that is wisdom not necessarily practical knowledge and the poem is about a, a person in this case miss nelson she provides this wisdom to school kids in the fourth year and it's a it, it, it's it's a metaphor for who are the people in your life that have this figure of, of Miss Nelson and what are the elements of your life that act as Miss as Miss Nelson and that help you understand and find meaning mm -hmm. in the mundane help you find more knowledge inwards so a better understanding of who you are and ultimately help you go through life. Like who, who is the Miss Nelson that is gonna give you the, the practical wisdom to survive your own life? Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll even include the, the poem. Uh, yes, uh, the and the link. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, can, I can share that. Um, that link if you don't have it awesome and our last question what is your personal reset button when you are feeling like you need to self-regenerate yourself what is your go-to button mindfulness <laughs> <laughs> well what mindfulness in the end is just this self-regulation of attention and emotion that that is mindfulness yeah. is is uh, having this self-awareness and understanding of how do I regulate how do I better regulate my attention where do I put my attention and how do I regulate my emotion right understanding that I am not my emotions rather my emotions are uh, an event 
and I can understand the patterns of behavior and the structures and the mental models that drove those emotions. And then you have a better control of them or uh, you can self-regulate your emotions. That is, that is mindfulness. Um, practices or, or what helps me reset. Um, there isn't one single silver bullet. Uh, it's a combination of, uh, I would say one is uh, definitely connection with the body. So I practice yoga. Another one is connection with the community on earth. So I love hiking. I love um, going up mountains. Uh, I enjoy um, bodies of water, lakes, rivers, and the ocean. Um, I love doing gardening. So, uh, you know, touching soil, looking at plants, um, that is a good reset. And then um, connecting with others via uh, invigorating conversations, shared experiences, and Another way of connecting with others is with their work, right? So reading a good book or watching a movie is a good way of connecting with the author of that work. So that is a, and, 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 and books talk to us. Books, books have the ability of talking to us uh, through time. And then you can have a wonderful conversation with, with an author. Thank you, Pablo. A lot of food for thought. It was a pleasure to chat with you again. Thank you. And um, thank you for uh, inviting me to share. Pablo Esteves is a managing partner at Insingo and a professor at a university. His work focuses on the intersections across design, responsible leadership, business, social innovation, and higher education. Resetting Homo Sapiens is Mafalda Curtis de Alfaga, Doki Kapenava, and Carlota Gitch. Our lovely theme music is composed by Nacho, a member of the awesome IE Music Club. Support for the Resetting Homo Sapiens podcast comes from the IE Center for Health, Wellbeing, and Happiness, based in Madrid, Spain. You can find them on Instagram at IE underscore happiness underscore center. Thank you for listening.